everyone and welcome back to the Enduro World Series podcast episode 8. Um, when we started recording these I actually wasn't sure that we'd be able to sustain a weekly turnover but we have the news, it flows and helping me absorb that news like an environmentally friendly squidgy mop of knowledge is none other than Rory Cunningham. Rory, how's your week been? It's been good mate, um, some big news obviously uh, in Scotland the, the date that hairdressers are going to reopen so um the squidgy mop that's on my head might have a, a limited time frame but uh yeah i'm good mate the, the weather's been um, a little bit better so i've been out on the bike last few days and enjoying that and what about yourself are you happy uh, happy not to be homeschooling anymore do you know what i'm actually just gonna i did have a note to to pull you up on this this would have been this was your eighth opportunity to ask me how i was doing and uh, you'd never asked before, so I'm quite I'm quite happy that you've done that. Um, yeah, good not to be homeschooling. The weather's turned. Nice to get out on the road bike. Nice to get a couple of hours underneath the old uh, oil filter whenever I can. So everything's going well. Um, we should start things off with a bit of a racing roundup, as ever. Um, more Enduro World Series qualifiers getting underway and more big names begin to turn out at them. I'd say that the most hotly contested one so far happened last weekend at the Emerson Free Peaks Enduro down in Dunedin in southern New Zealand. Big turnout at that one. Uh, ever been to Dunedin, Rory? Uh, I've not. I drove past it um, on my way to... Uh, no, I haven't driven past it. Dunedin's, Dunedin's south of Christchurch, isn't it? Is that it right? It is, yeah. Yeah, so yeah I've, never, I've, never, I've never been near to it. I've been to Christchurch, so... Okay, that's close to I've been to it, actually. Lots of, apparently lots of Scots down in Dunedin. Uh, the women's race was won by Gemma Hastings. Uh, the remarkable thing about that, actually, was that she was actually entered in the novice class. Um, so a star is born on that front. Robin Gooms also went well in the open class. She, in the open class. Uh, Hastings narrowly beat Louise Kelly from Live Racing. Lou Kelly, uh, she made her overseas debut last season at the Italian rounds for Live Racing. Plenty more to come from her, you'd have to say. Her teammate, Ray Morrison, DNF'd, unfortunately, due to a mechanical. Um, that's actually... We we shot her one of her race bikes, one of her Live Race bikes, for our YouTube channel uh, in Pietra last year. And... A better put together, nicer looking race bike you'll probably not see. So I'm guessing she was mm. just unlucky this time. Plenty more speed to come from Ray, I'm sure. Charlie Murray, someone who we have talked about extensively on this podcast, uh, won the men's race. One of the breakthrough riders of the 2020 season. He took the win ahead of a stacked field, which included Ibis's Cole Lucas, Daniel Self, Da Vinci's Keegan Wright. What's interesting here is that Charlie's services were reputedly much in demand this off-season, understandably, and there was a lot of speculation as to whether he'd stay on that Pivot Factory racing team, the uh, team's champs. And he's been pretty coy about it. Any riding shots he's posted on social media from that win feature all kinds of uh, Photoshop wizardry, (laughs) pretty high-end... computer skills with him riding everything from a mobility scooter to a horse if you look closely in the podium shot from that emerson free peaks enduro you can just spy a small logo somewhere on his person um it might be nothing it might be something um 
definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. From what I've read about, it really was enduro racing done right though down there. Five stages on day one, three more on day two, new trails cut in especially for the event, uh, shuttles during practice. Really, that's the stuff that dreams are made of really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know, middle of the, the New Zealand summer at the moment, so they'll have amazing conditions for it as well. Um, but yeah, I've heard really good things about the about the riding in Dunedin. Um, I'm th I think, if I'm right in saying this, I think Cam Cole's from Dunedin originally. Um, and he always used to tell me about, oh, you need to come to Dunedin and ride there, it's the place to be. So um, yeah, I mean, like you said, a stacked field and uh, Charlie Murray, uh, the, the kind of standout from last year. Um, really continuing that form uh, through into 2021 and uh, becoming a, a kind of enduro specialist, isn't he? Well, this is it. I, I just, if he's, I don't know if he's listened to this or not, but Charlie, if you are, uh, would you just get that potential team news out in the open, please, so we can stop skirting around it? That would be absolutely fantastic. I am so worried about treading straight into that one. It's, it's untrue, but. Really, let's talk briefly about Ray Morrison and that mechanical. Um, mechanicals in enduro are, I mean, enduro is about, we've talked about this before, it's about managing yourself and your bike, isn't it? And making sure that both of you get to the finish line, and preferably in one piece. I remember a young, uh, well, not that young, Rory Cunningham uh, rattling his way to the finish line. Where was it? In Einsa, you blew a wheel up somewhere? Yeah, Einsa. How difficult is that from a racer's point of view to sort of to deal with mechanicals? I mean, you've done everything you can. You're, you know, the best shape you can be. You're putting a good race together and then you just clip something and it blows up. How difficult is that to manage? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to manage. And, and sometimes, sometimes I think as a rider, you can probably take responsibility for it. There's a couple of times I've come into stuff too fast or tried to jump something that, I hadn't jumped in practice and landed on a rock, but um, I'd say uh, most of the time you'll just you'll just hit something you don't see, and um, you're you're not as you're you're not riding the stages on memory, so you can't when you practice you can't take in every single rock that that may cause a puncture or or may cause a mechanical or something like that. So. Um, it's very difficult, yeah, and, and like you said, the race was a big one, so five stages in one day, three in another. Um, I haven't seen the results, but you'd kind of imagine that's, you're talking probably 25 minutes plus of race time, and that's 25 minutes going as, as fast as you can. Um, so there's a much bigger window uh, for, for mechanicals and for those kind of things to happen, but um, like you say, it's, it's a, the sport of enduro, it's a, it's a balance of um, you know, getting yourself to the finish line and getting your bike there as well, but but try to ride as fast as you can. So it's tricky. I mean, um, I think my Ainsa wheel extravaganza was pretty well documented, and um, yeah, ended up having to uh, my mechanic Tyler West shout out to the big man. Um, he spent most of the evening on the Saturday with a a set of I'm pretty sure they're horse shoe kind of like pliers that he found in our accommodation trying to bend the wheel back and then just pretty much used an adhesive to get my tire and cush core and everything on the rim for the next day and and that's a pretty extreme case but um yeah i mean we've spoken on this podcast about people using the, the kind of heaviest 
or the most protective tyres that they can um, just to try and eliminate those kind of little, uh, you know what I mean, those little hits that might just give you a flat or whatever. So um, as a racer, there's only so much you can do. Um, and in certain situations, it's about trying to manage it. But um, yeah, I'm unfortunate for Ray. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see her uh, at EWS this year and, um, you know, really uh, producing some good form. Yeah, I the the fact that Tyler managed to get that wheel back into something that you could ride on the next day was absolutely incredible. And I think I think a low enduro is a sport. I mean, as we've seen with Gemma Hastings, that you know a privateer can take it to fully supported, you know, professional racers. I also think that having a professional mechanic of that ability. And you know that confidence that he could get that fix and could get you back out there without a time penalty. I think that is something that really kind of demonstrates, you know, just how good it is to have a professional of that caliber in your corner. Mm. Um, Where we've been covering, obviously, the team launches as they've sort of rattled out over the last few weeks. One of the one of the teams that wasn't listed. Uh, when we rattled through them last week, was one of the big ones. And we can now confirm that uh, Yeti, Fox, Racing Shocks, they're back and they are going to be comprised of Richie Rood and Sean Nair this season. Um, we talk about, I mean, we talked about before Rocky Mountain Race Face being the most complete free rider squad, one of the most complete free rider squads ever. This has to be one... Free rider, yeah. Free, free or free or three. I mean, I know they're I know they're Canadian, but I don't think they're free riders. <laughs> Do you remember the the fro riders? They were Rocky Mountain, weren't they? Brett Tippy and all that. Anyway, <laughs> shorter age there, Rick. <laughs> yeah, let's not, get, let's not get bogged down in how old we are. But um, that's that's pretty much as heavy hitting as a two rider combo goes, isn't it? Yeah, definitely heavy. I mean, uh, Richie Rudd's um, you know, we don't need to say much there. Two-time champ, um, and and Sean Near seems to be really, he seems to be kind of developing into that role. He had some, unfortunately, didn't really get to see him race last year, but in 2019 he had he had some good kind of standout results. So um, it'd be interesting to see if he's carried that form over, um, and and continued to develop as a, as a rider and develop that speed. And um, yeah, I mean a pretty. Uh, Pretty formidable uh, duo, uh, let's put it that way. It's pretty, pretty formidably mustachioed uh, duo as well. The mustaches, <laughs> the pair of them are running. I think Sean, since I've known him anyway, Sean's always always run a tash, but uh, Richie's added to that with um, some serious, some serious top lip hair of himself. But um, let's talk about Richie for a second. Uh, double EWS champ, former junior downhill world champ. Extremely softly spoken, but without running into one of the biggest cliches in mountain bike racing. Let's just ride and really do the talking. Where does he currently sort of stack up in your estimations? We obviously didn't see him last season because of travel restrictions, uh, similar to Sam Hill in that respect. But where does uh, where does Richie rack up for you in 2021? I mean, he's a, a two-time champ, multiple race winner. Ah. And I mean, as a as a rider, I think he's quite unique in enduro. If I'm perfectly honest, um, definitely 
you know, he'd definitely have me covered on the old 85 keg program. Let's put it that way. He's a, he's a big lad and he carries a lot of muscle and a lot of weight, um, which is quite unique. If you look at guys like Martin and Sam and, and Jesse and Florian Nikolai, they're all quite, you know, all quite lean, um, all quite light and really, really efficient. Whereas Richie's kind of like the, physiologically, he's kind of the oddity. He's, he's you know, he's got legs like, tree trunks and he, he certainly we should, uses yeah, that we power. should we should put this in um, perspective shouldn't we for um anyone sort of either new to the sport or anyone who hasn't actually sort of met richie face to face i'm always i always like in the off season i kind of forget how big he is whenever you meet, whenever you do meet him he is it is like standing in front of like a professional rugby player like he is a big strong guy mm. isn't he? he's very sort of physically imposing mm-hmm. um which as you say like I kind of guess earlier on in Enduro, that was kind of the body shape for the, the taller guys like Richie, but it seems now everyone's kind of leaning out a bit more, and Richie's still very much, he's all muscle, isn't he? Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, like, I don't think it's that, he, I don't think necessarily, like, his genetics would allow him to be that lean. I think he's naturally a big lad. And um, at the same time, I witnessed, I think it was 2000, I'm going to say 2016, Whistler, um, and I can't remember what had happened, but he'd had some kind of bad luck earlier in the day, and he had to make up some stupid amount of time on the last stage, which was top of the world, you know, 20 plus minute, uh, or 20 minute stage, and he put something. He put some ridiculous time in the longest stage, which you would think is, if you're carrying that much weight, would be the kind of the most detrimental. And he just, <laughs> he just destroyed it, hucked a flat off the last drop as well for good measure, and and took the win. And you know we've we've seen him use that strength and use that power to his advantage, and not he doesn't seem to be kind of held back by by carrying the extra weight. It's almost like he's um, his body's adapted to carrying it. So. Yeah, I mean, in my estimations wise, I mean, he'll be up there, um, at you know, at various points through the year. I think the one thing that might have held him back in in recent years is is probably his ability to kind of adjust with the conditions. Um, I know from from my kind of experience of racing, if it was you know if we had like one day dry, one day wet, he would he would usually kind of struggle when it was when it was wet and and, and muddy. So. Um, maybe that's been something he's been working on, and um, yeah, if he can if he can add a little bit more consistency on his kind of off days, then he's a he's a title contender for sure. Yeah, we're talking we're talking increments here, aren't we? He's definitely like he's one of the best. He's one of the best the sport has seen in terms of like that's the thing. Like he has that size and physicality, but you watch him on the bike, and he doesn't ride like that. Do you know what I mean? It's very precise. Like great to see, although I am. Obviously, glad that I'm not his bike uh, at mm. times. He, th- those those shots of him coming through the the rock garden, the North Star, uh, a couple of seasons ago, just absolutely pinned. Um, rocks jumping out of the way. <laughs> rocks getting out of the way. Yeah, deciding they want absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, we should talk about that race. That to me is, if you said Richie Rude in terms of the races that he's won that I've covered, that would be the one that stands out in the absolute toe-to-toe battle with Sam Hill in uh, North Star, California. And 
one of the closest, if not the closest finish ever actually, just eight hundredths of a second between the two of them at the line and that was absolutely epic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's what that's what we want to see. Um and you do best, right? I mean like two champions in Sam Hill and Rich Rudin. You know, at the time they'd both be two time um two time champs and you know, seeing them um battling and coming down to like you say hundreds of seconds um on the last stage. Uh pretty incredible after the the kind of total race time that it would have been to that point but um and two contrasting styles, you know, like Sam the kind of the the, the perfect technique always looks like he's just you know, I would say the king of momentum. Um, and then Richie, you're kind of big, powerful guy, just like looks like he's wringing his bike's neck. Um, and, you know, for those to be separated by a couple of hundreds, it's, you know, that's what we want to see in the sport. And it shows that there's not necessarily one style or, or one way of riding that, that is the best. And, um, yeah, I mean, makes me excited to think what's going to happen in 2021, just, just talking about it. I know, like... Um... I know from doing the interviews at the end of that race, like I think it was one of those ones that it, I think Richie Richie really enjoyed the fact that it had been that close a race and it had been that close a race against Sam. I think that that meant something, and I, well, any day you beat Sam Hill in a bike race is a you know it's a personal highlight on the old career chart. But um, and I I think like Sam, I've never seen Sam that sort of like g'd up like he won the race again the next day do you know what i mean like i think as you say mouth-watering considering hopefully we have them both back this season martin mays mm-hmm. jesse melamed from last season also in the mix you know hopefully we get eddie back to full fitness as well eddie masters uh let's move on to sean near then um 2019 season he really sort of emerged onto the world stage and put his stamp on things um as someone who could really fly the turquoise colours for Yeti at the highest level. He's he's a really different character from Richie, isn't he? Yeah, I mean he's he's uh he's a good lad and he's he's quite eccentric and um yeah, certainly like you said, he's uh his moustache game is strong. Um but yeah, I think he's he's definitely his kind of his own his own rider, but at the same time, um to be part of that programme and, and to uh to be there and learn from Richie, you know, as a, as a multiple race winner and, and two time champion, um, he doesn't necessarily need to like replicate what Richie does or the style that Richie has or or the way he kind of approaches things. But um, I think for him, it's just kind of like picking up on little things and and having a having a character chase, albeit a fairly big one. I think uh, I think having Richie as the as the champ and um, or the two time two time champ previous champ. Um, it's got to be it's got to be a positive thing, and um, you know that team he's part of. Yeah, they they know how to win. So um, I think it's yeah, it'll be a be an interesting year for him. I'm I'm quite you know I'm quite intrigued to see how he goes. Really, like that's the thing we talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, the setup and across the pits from them at Chain Reaction, Nuke Proof, and Sam and Pagey, Keelan. Elliot, you know, all really tight knit group, and it's the same at Yeti, isn't it? They all get on very, very well. Damien runs a tight ship there. Um, Good lad. Sean Hughes, yeah, like they all, they all get on really well. They're their own group. Everyone knows each other's role. Um, Sean Hughes, Spannering, um, 
as ever, the Yeti polar bear himself. Well worth a follow on social media. Uh, anybody who's inter interested in throwing spanners at bikes, he's always got some good tips on there. And it's interesting, actually. I've, I've talked to um, one of the photographers that's worked closely with them over the years, Dave Trumpour, who sidelined to this. Thanks, Dave. He's keeping me entertained by sending me lots of uh, pictures of rally cars lately. But um, he would say that Sean is one of the most talented bike riders when it comes to just throwing himself off something. Do you know what I mean? Just having a mm. crack, just, you know, big drop, big jump, whatever. He's just like, he's completely at home in that sort of big mountain environment. So, um, yeah, can't wait to see what uh, what those two bring this year. In terms of equipment, little has changed on that front. They'll be riding the Yeti SB150s again. That's just about as heavy hitting a race bike as I think you'll find out there. Fox suspension, full Shimano XTR M ninety one hundred. It's all just it's all just a good setup. Have you seen the little? Um, I don't know who makes it. It's like a boa, uh, a boa spare tube strap on that Yeti race bike. Yeah, it's I've seen it. It's the same color. It's exactly the right like Pantone shade or whatever that Yeti turqu Yeti turquoise is. I think. I've outed myself on this before as a nibbler, but for a nibbler like me, that's I'm into that. That's pretty cool. I think it's something it. that it's something that a lot of brands get wrong is the color. The color <laughs> they they don't have the same paint codes. Let's say that much. It was funny <laughs> when I when I was on uh, when I was on Trek, we had the kind of they call it Viper Red frames, and then Rockshop came out with the new Lyric at the time. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? Like. Was that Just, was that Trek was that Trek Viper red? Was that supposed to be the same red that the Dodge Viper was released in? Is that where that Viper bit comes from? I can only assume so. Yeah, um, it, it was a like really it looked like it. It was a really difficult um, color to match with anything. It was quite unique. Um, but yeah, I think the first year was on it had like kind of more orangey red top, like jet race jersey, and then like the Viper red frame, and then like this kind of lipstick red kind of cherry red fork um yeah <laughs> I, I, I was in the, i was in the, i was in the viper red that was a good uh, reds to be fair reds are hard to do i will say that um have you have you ever had a yeti they're one of those brands that people get people are really really passionate about and they have a massive following and not would you have ever because obviously you never raced for them so would you have ever had one i don't think so no um I think the closest I had to owning a Yeti was my friend had a Yeti hardtail. Dave Mack, shout out, good lad. Davey Mack. Yeah. Um, I had, yeah, I had, a, I had an ASR5, which had an alloy front end, a carbon back end, flex stays. But it was, it was kind of one of the first sort of aggressive five-inch travel a bit more than trail bikes. I used to love it. I had 36, Fox 36s on it. It was brilliant. But they've always done unique stuff. They did, do you remember they had the, the rail bikes? So like the shock yep. linkage was on a sliding rail. They had a single-sided swing arm. Um, I think that was quite a long travel thing. That They've, they've got their switch technology, which they sh they're still running today. They always do things quite different. And, um, and that's great to see. And... You know, huge that that turquoise. I don't think could be any more iconic to that brand. I mean, they've they've really stuck with it. 
Um, you know, if you see that color of bike, you know it's a Yeti straight away. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's cool to see them, you know, try and switch things up and um, try new things. Yeah, I the one I had, um, the one I had was white, and I always kind of regretted that it wasn't the turquoise. Um, yeah, I. I've always really liked Yeti from the point of view that um, they sort of adhere to that win on Sunday, sell on Monday kind mm-hmm. of ideal. And if you look at the names they've brought along as racers, I mean, John, John Tomac, Missy Gilby, Jared Graves, Aaron Gwynn, Richie, you know, they Nathan do Rennie. have Nathan um, Rennie, good Blankensop, show. Blankensop, um and Jack Moyer wrote a Yeti. Um, That's right. Uh, at some point as well so I mean you know Justin Leo race winner for the EWS and Jack Moyer I'm sure it's a matter of time before he wins one um, we should mention um, Jared Graves actually he finished second at the Australian cross country champs at the mm. weekend there so um, good to see Jared really just uh, Batman is just a race machine isn't he he just loves it um, yeah he will also be uh, fielding a development squad um, as they have done previously this season. Um, Jabal Davis, Quinn Reese, Warren Ness, Lauren Bingham, all uh, on there. Warren Ness, actually, we should. this brings us on seamlessly to talk about another EWS qualifier that happened at the weekend, which, conveniently enough for this conversation anyway, Richie won. Um, he was, he was going to race, I think... Um, downhill as well as enduro and then he decided I think there was some changeable conditions there I think it's quite a sort of uh, at Windrock bike park it's quite a sort of slick place if there's a bit of moisture about and uh, mm. I think he just elected to focus on the enduro but I obviously paid off because uh, raced once won once um, for this season Warren Ness I think was second actually as well so the Yeti team going strong Right then, let's move swiftly on, Ruri. We put a shout out last week to request uh, some Ask Us Anythings on Instagram, and luckily enough, we've had a few of them. The Great first stuff. one, yeah, the first one, worryingly, is from someone we work with, uh, a young man from Bristol called Jacob Gibbons, who asks, At what percentage of total crash your brains out maximum is Rick? doing when he's trying to keep up with the schlid on course rides the schlid of course being Ruri's lockdown haircut I'd say that do you know what previously when people have asked me this I've said it's absolutely everything I've got for the first 30 meters or so then you disappear and then I stop trying I actually that 30 meters I don't even know if I try for that now <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I mean, it, depending on if the slip gets cut, it might be, you know, I mean, it might just, you might be able to hold on to it and just drag you down. Um, I, feel, feel I on that, we could I, go for a tandem, maybe. No, no, we're not doing that. Um, the tandem was uh, doing a course preview on a downhill spec tandem was floated whenever... Um, Chris Ball and I used to do the course previews and obviously I was going to be in the back of it and I wasn't that keen for medical reasons that I obviously don't need to go into and 
I asked somebody else about it. I mentioned it in conversation to somebody else who then who's who I would put down as a better rider than me and generally fearless. And they mentioned purely by fluke that they had been on the back of a tandem mountain bike with Chris before and that it was quote unquote the worst experience of their life and that I shouldn't do it. So we're not doing tandems. Um Fair enough. I'd say yeah. I'd say I I go as quickly as I can go as somebody who's a happy amateur, but it's quite difficult to go to actually ride a bike and talk at the same time. How have you found that actually? How have you found riding a bike and talking? You seem to be quite good at it. Well, I think one of the last times in the podcast I was saying that when I used to practice free WS, I'd you know ride with my GoPro on and talk. Um, and I've got enough thoughts floating around my head that I, it's just a matter of saying them out loud, really. So it's it's all good. Cool, nice one. Good for you. Yeah. Must be nice for you. I still yeah. find it very difficult. Um, next one's from. Bastian Heidel 4, he says he'd like to tell us more about the all-new pro stage and um, yeah, tell us a bit more really, you're, with your sports coordinator hat on, tell us a bit more about the pro stage and I kind of think as well that this would have suited you down to the ground. Is this something that suits people with that sort of downhill, throw it all at the wall and see what sticks mentality or is this a bit more complicated than that? Um, I think it, I think it's definitely more complicated than that. Um, so the pro stage came about um, for a number of reasons, really. So in the past, we'd we'd done um, some kind of prologue style events. So we had the street race in Columbia, which was um, you were there, Rick. That was awesome. Um, and then in, in other events, we've kind of had more of a kind of exhibition. Um, I remember in Ainsa we did a kind of ride through the castle, and um, it didn't it didn't count towards the race. But the, the prologue events always kind of got good crowds, and they're always really central. And um, it kind of made us think, well, let's actually let's commit and, and make something of it. So the word pro is a shortened version of the word prologue, but it's also um, because the stage is pro only, so it's it's only the EWS. Uh, field that will that will kind of compete in the pro stage um, the night the night before the race. Uh, I guess that the main reasons about it were kind of bringing the the excitement of the race and and uh, the sport of enduro to the to the crowds and to the to the people. Um, so the the stages are are designed to be um, relatively short, close to the event hub, um, or close to the, the the town that the the race is is taking part in. Um, and just create a really kind of exciting, um, high-paced uh, kind of racing um, experience for for the fans, but um, also for the riders as well. So uh, there's there's extra points for top five places um, as a bit of incentive for riders to to really push it. And you know, with the courses um, being designed um, kind of three to six minutes and a more High speed stage it should provide close racing, and um, you know, with live time and hot seat and stuff at the bottom, it'll be uh, yeah, it'll be an exciting start to the EWS. And then uh, the riders also complete the pro stage as the final stage of the race, so um, a very fitting conclusion and something we're we're pretty excited about, aren't we, Rick? I am excited about. Yeah, I think it will bring a bit of drama to proceedings as well, and I think. 
as I say, I've got I've got two young kids, and if I'm taking them to watch any kind of sport or anything like that, I want to know where I can park the car and have to travel mm-hmm. and listen to them the least before I can get in front of some action and sort of get them excited about it. And I think from a, a family point of view, not having to hack your way into the undergrowth to find the stages mm-hmm. that'll maybe you know take up Saturday where like, the guts of the racing and where sort of you know we really have built the Enduro World Series name will be. But to have a bit more access for families and for people who want to sort of find out what all this is about and enjoy the sport as well, I think that's a really, it'd be a really yeah. positive thing. And I think it'll give yeah. us something to really get our teeth into in terms of the championship and the races as well. So, yeah, I should probably add there. That. I should probably add there, you know, it's not, um, you know, we, we kind of recognise and we know that enduro as a sport is still the kind of the big mountains, um, kind of remote stages, the, the kind of adventure aspect of it like we understand that that is enduro and, and that's what people associate it with but um at the same time like you say it's, it's about kind of bringing the sport you know c- continue to have that continue to have the majority of the the race days um kind of out um in the kind of back country in the, in the high mountains and then um, bring it all back to the the central location where where yeah like your families can come and watch and um really kind of have a fitting conclusion uh, to races, a fit and start and end to races, rather than kind of having a a remote finish line twenty kilometres from the from the event hub, and then people getting a race result kind of half an hour later when they return to the event. So, um, yeah, I think it will be. I think it'll be a really good addition, and uh, really excited to see how it all uh, all works out this year. Okay, hope that answers your question. A uh, bit of a contentious one next. That uh, let's try not to upset too many people with. Is it even worth showing up? on a 27.5 front and rear wheel, and that's from Toodles80. Don't see why not. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, to be honest, like, it, if if you prefer how a 27.5 wheel rides, and if it's something that you ride... I think Enduro is all about racing on the bike that you like and that you're comfortable on and if that's a 27.5 inch wheel then that's as good as anything i'd say the question gets a bit murkier when you head towards the pro ranks and 29's really taken over there hasn't it yeah i don't think there's i don't think there's anything wrong with with kind of you know two 27.5 wheels i mean um yeah like we are seeing more uh 29ers in use and now with the, the addition of the kind of mullet bikes um, but like, let's be honest. I mean, if if Sam Hill showed up on a twenty-six inch wheel nuke proof, he'd probably still be in the top ten, in my opinion. I think it's it's marginal. I think for the for the very top riders, they're looking at fractions of percentage. You know, when it when it comes to advantage and it comes to gains. You know, if a 29er wheel gives them 10 seconds advantage a day, they'll take it. Whereas for your for your amateur rider, that you know, 10 seconds is is really nothing. Um, so yeah, I I think wheel size is 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 kind of irrelevant for like 90% of people. But for the very very top guys, you know, that that kind of 10 seconds can be the difference between first and fifth. So. Uh, they're obviously they obviously need to get everything they can, but for anybody listening that's got a twenty seven point five and or signed up to a race, 
it's not gonna it's not gonna make a, a, a huge amount of difference. You'll have a great time regardless, and um, yeah, just put your focus in put your focus on your on your own riding and, and not the equipment that everybody else is using. I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think that like I would be surprised if one of the top teams came out with a flagship enduro race bike that had a twenty seven point five inch front wheel from now mm-hmm. on. I think the mullet or full twenty nine is kind of where and and I can see it as well. I've ridden a couple of twenty seven point five inch wheel bikes lately. Interestingly, particularly an e bike and I find that I've been on twenty nines for a good while, but I am very gangly as we've also pointed out in previous <laughs> podcasts. And just the way just that amount of grip and feel you get from a twenty nine inch front wheel, I think is is maybe superior but I mean that's again that is me and mm. if you are coming to one of the races and you ride a 27.5 bike I definitely wouldn't as you say it's negligible over a full day's race and I think mm. the difference you'll find um, one here from Oz Grooves this one's for you Ruri I'd like to hear more about the role of strength training and Ruri's target 85 uh, what sort of weights are the pro riders lifting and why didn't you target 85 when you were racing? Would it have made you too big? Well, this is a, I'm trying to think of a way to answer this shortly. Um, I think so, 80, 85 when you were racing would have made you like sort it, of similar in proportions so, to one of those cheap fridge freezers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a cheap fridge freezer, mate. I'd be the. I don't know what's. On, I don't know what an expensive make of a fridge freezer is, but I'd certainly be that one. This, um, the, no, yeah, that that analogy would have worked better if you were aware of that fact. But go on anyway. Um, so, like to put it in the context, I, I weighed myself this morning, and unfortunately, I've lost weight. So I'm eighty-two point one this morning, which is frustrating because I just can't seem to eat enough. My race weight was. 70 to 72 kilos so I'm a full 10 kilos heavier than than when I raced now it's not necessarily I guess it comes down to the kind of what is functional weight as in you can be strong and you can have the, the ad, you know adequate strength um, that you gain obviously through gym work but not necessarily put on muscle um, if if I could lift similar numbers to what I lift now, which um, I would have, I wouldn't have been far away. Uh, the, the ten kilos extra that I'm now carrying would just be dead weight. Um, and when you're riding for six, seven hours a day, back to back to back, that adds up. Um, and and yeah, there's there's no two ways about it. Like power to weight is important. Um, another reason, and this is something that certainly is probably why. I kept my weight down when when I raced is you just can't get enough calories like if I was like a standard day for me or a standard week for me would be three gym sessions so like Monday Wednesday Friday I'd probably be in the gym two of those I'd probably have a shorter bike session after it um so you'd be talking a couple hours and then I'd have probably two big rides in there and then two days kind of intervals as well so like if you're doing a if you're in the gym one day and then you've got a ride after it and then the next day you're on the road bike for like five hours, 
like the calorie intake you have to like in order to kind of really put on mass you have to have a surplus in calories so you have to be in more than you're burning um if you're burning probably on average like three and a half thousand a day it becomes really really difficult to eat three and a half thousand plus calories um so like that's kind of i guess that that was what allowed me to keep my weight down was just I couldn't eat enough. I was always maybe at a slight calorie deficit or or, or kind of there or thereabouts. But um, you can put you can put muscle on and maybe lose fat and you can gain strength. Um, but yeah, it's it's a real balance. I mean, you need the engine, you need the aerobic capacity to to get around the days and obviously the 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 kind of intervals and stuff you need to do in, in order to kind of replicate the the efforts you do in stages that's all super super important and the strength is important as well but you kind of i've always kind of believed that the strength you require on the bike um that kind of that grip strength the you know your your kind of arm pump that sort of thing the only way to really develop that and increase that is is on the bike I don't think you can replicate that those kind of vibrations and those impacts in the gym. I mean, I'm now stronger than I was when I raced, marginally, albeit. And I was out riding yesterday, and after five minutes, I could barely, <laughs> I could barely pull the brakes. So, uh, I mean, I could have got off and thrown my bike ten foot in the air, but I could barely pull the brakes. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to see that. Um, I think you're uh, overthinking it, to be honest. I mean, I, I know you're, you know. You coming from a professional athlete's background and you know dietary training and sort of that kind of stuff. I think I mean we got the news yesterday that the pubs are going to be open here in the UK on the twenty sixth. <laughs> I think if you can give me a weekend of your time and around about one hundred and twenty pounds cash and a lot of Guinness, we can get you over that eighty five kegs mark. I think you've done the hard work. Now is the time to do the professional work and. Uh, really i think you there's some big benefits you could see in there right let's have a look we've got a couple more here so yeah a name uh, a name i'm pretty envious of ricardo smooth who is the best pound for pound racer across downhill xc and enduro current and goat greatest of all time that's a tough one well I we mean... mentioned jared jared graves too Two EWS titles to his name. Um, he's done well in national level Australian XC, which is quite a high level. I think only Dan McConnell beat him at the weekend. He mm. went to Beijing for the first ever BMX Olympics. He retrained in that. He's four cross world champion. Um, background in downhill racing. Hard to hard to knock Jarrah's. I'd say, I don't know, There's there's a lot of them, isn't there? Sam? Um, yeah, I mean, Sam's been champion downhill, champion enduro. That's obviously difficult to to look past. I've, you know, Martin Mays won EWS. He's, he's, did he not win EWS and World Cup in the same year? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty... I don't think that's been um, replicated. Uh, Do you know what? I've got one. I've got one. I've got it. It's not going to be Caroline Matthew Van. Oh, yeah. And Carol. Caroline shows on. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. More more downhill titles than there are days in most months. Um, BMX gold medal, enduro world series winner, 
Mm -hmm. Just an all-round bike riding legend, mm -hmm. I'd say, and Caro. Nico's, yeah. Nico's in there as well. Nico's in Nico, there as well. Yeah. I'd love to see. Um, um, I'd love to see Matthew Vanderpool giving Giro a go. Um, obviously, he's doing well, some pretty special things on the road, and he's won cross country uh, World Cups. And uh, he he yeah. mentioned in an interview shortly after I started work with Enduro World Series full time. So that's what last January. He mentioned in an interview that he would like to like. They asked him if there's anything else he'd like to sort of try or take on, and he did say Enduro. Um, I'd, I'd love to see that personally. I think his, his bike handling skills, as everybody has obviously seen already, are just mm. on a different planet. I'd be interested yeah. to see if that engine would help him mm. over the over the course of a two-day enduro race. Yeah. And and uh, another another young lad, Tom Pidcock, um, he's yeah. he, he's talented as well. And I've seen him do some pretty... Uh, I, I follow him on Instagram, and you see him do some pretty cool kind of... Like he's got some serious bike skills, like doing road gaps on a dyno mm. bike, and and then you know, I mean, he's part of the Ineos team now, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see those guys give it a go. And um, I can't think of Yolanda Neff, else. I'd like, to, I'd like, I'd like to see yeah, Yolanda yeah. take it on, and I'd like to see. Well, I think we're going to see some big things from Hattie Harnden. I think that's mm. she's similar to Pidcock. Actually, she seems to have raced everything under the sun. Um, mm -hmm. and fills a whole calendar of her race series so more from Hattie this season of course she's moving up into pro women so we're going to see her I'd say we're going to see her on the podium pretty sharpish here's a question for you Rick just a, a development have, have, on... you, have you have you submitted this to no, it's, it's, anything? it's a follow on from what we're talking about so right, go on. The, current, the current EWS riders if you were to do uh three races in one weekend so you do say a cross country race a downhill race and an enduro race and accumulate the whole times who would win? Oofed That's a good question isn't it? Uh, I would say in the women's I'd probably say it's between Isabel and Morgan Shar for me in the women's and in the men's, I'd actually think Eddie Masters would be right up there. Because mm. he's, you know, he's he, Eddie is physically a lot fitter than his, let's say, his Playboy lifestyle would uh, <laughs> lead, would lead you to believe. Um, yeah. He's got he, a pretty streamlined head as well. Yeah, he's obviously right up there in terms of downhill racing and he's won an Enduro World Series in the past, has been in contention for the title right up until the last minute. Um, if he could get all three bikes to the finish line, I'd say Eddie and I'd say... Mm. Uh, I'd probably say Isabeau mm. or Morgan, but just... Who would you say? I, I, well, I think, I think the cross-country would be the big divider, so I think... We should put trials in the list as well, like old school. They have to, they've got to do trials. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, there we go. I think, I think if you, it, the the biggest time gaps would be on the cross country. So, I think it would be in the men's. I think it would be a bit of. A, I think it'd be a sleeper. I think it'd be somebody like Damien Ofton or Mark Scott or somebody who really is is light and fit, but can. Mark Scott. Mark. 
Mark Scott would beast the cross country race, wouldn't he? That yeah, would be yeah. a sort of yeah um, for the women. Would they have to be? Would they have to be on the same bike? I mean, would you have to do, or would you be able to take like a race bike for each one? Oh, we'll keep it. We'll keep it within the spirit of enduro. You got to do it on one bike. Okay. Um, and the women's. Ooh. I reckon Hattie Harden would win it. Yeah, actually. I think actually, I think yeah, she's... you maybe hit something there. Absolutely, um, like her her cross country and uh, cycle across Palmares speaks for itself, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. I, uh, um, Isabel. I just, I just always kind, of, I kind of feel that Isabel's kind of where Sam was a couple of years ago in that she's very much the one to beat, isn't she? She's the sort of yeah. the high water mark that you've, if if you win one, you'll have had to have beaten her. Mm. And uh, I kind of still think that's a big ask for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely, you know, been the the dominant force in the women's field for the last uh, couple of years and. Um, it was quite interesting at the races last year, you know, to see you know Morgan Shaw and, and Melanie Pujan um, win. I think you know for them, obviously they're they're really they're really excited to win and, and they're really happy to win. But I think a, a massive part of that would be also just somebody beating Isabeau and um, kind of opening the opening the field up a little bit. I think I think you mm-hmm. know it, it's healthy for the sport. I think. If if one rider's dominant for so long and winning every single weekend, it can get quite stat like sport can get quite stagnant. Um, you know, I think you definitely see that in like Formula One with like Sir Hamilton just winning every single weekend, and um, you know, I think those two um, wins from from Pujan and Charles, it definitely makes things you know more exciting for for this year, and um, you know, we might even see more race winners. Yeah, we might. Well, here's hopeful. Um, here's hoping that we see as much action as we can. Listen, thank you for all your questions. Uh, we didn't get through all of them uh, this week, so we'll hope we'll carry a few more. We'll carry a few of them on to next week, and uh, hopefully get a few more as well. And Rui and I will continue to develop our ultimate mountain bike enduro Royal Rumble event incorporating trials cross country downhill and enduro throughout this week um if you are a big corporation interested in sponsoring that please let us know preferably if you have any background in hairdressing uh, until next week then we will see you soon and uh rory thanks for your time as always it's been fun yep cheers rick catch you later